Welcome to the Tell Us Something Podcast. I'm Mark Moss. We are currently looking for storytellers for the next Tell Us Something storytelling event. The theme is Didn't See That Coming. If you'd like to pitch your story for consideration, please call 406-203-4683. You have three minutes to leave your pitch. The pitch deadline is May 27th. I look forward to hearing from you. Please remember to save the date for Missoula Gives, May 5th through the 6th. Missoula Gives is a 24-hour online giving event. Remember to support Tell Us Something during Missoula Gives, May 5th through the 6th. Learn more at missoulagives.org. Tell Us Something acknowledges that we are in the Aboriginal territories of the Salish and Kalispell people. The land we walk on, recreate on, grow our food on, and live on is sacred land. Being mindful is a practice. We may not always be mindful of the gift that the land gives us and the wisdom that it has. We take this moment to honor the land and its native people and the stories that they and it share with us. This week on the podcast. I just wanted to let you know that I told Ruth about your trip and I let her know that your travel companion canceled and that you didn't feel comfortable traveling alone. When I defected in 1984 in Italy, I don't remember worrying about consequences of my, uh, of my defection, you know, desertion. I don't, worry about, I don't remember worrying about my family or my friends or seeing my country. I'm like busy, right? I got stuff to do, I got places to be. And all of a sudden, like, that's it. There's no more fuel, and I'm coming to a stop, like, at the worst spot. Little yellow markers are everywhere. I don't know what the hell's going on. And I see maybe a thousand feet away what could be a trail, but it's super steep embankment, and I start going down, and it's ridiculously steep. Four storytellers share their true personal story on the theme, Stone Soup. Their stories were recorded live in person in front of a sold-out crowd on March 30th, 2022 at the Wilma in Missoula, Montana. We wouldn't have been able to produce this event without the help of our title sponsor, Blackfoot Communications. We are so grateful to the team at Blackfoot for their support. Learn more about Blackfoot over at blackfoot.com. Our first story comes to us from Rachel Bemis. Rachel Bemis visits New York City with her papa, who sleeps through much of the trip. Rachel calls her story Sleepy in New York, or An Adventure with Papa. Thanks for listening. It was the summer of 2007. I was 27 years old living in Missoula. I worked as a real estate lender and also served on a nonprofit board. And I had a dirty little secret. I loved reality shows. And my standards were very low. Flavor of Love, Rock of Love, Project Runway, we're getting up there. Top Chef, a little better. But after a long day, I absolutely loved watching a good show. And reality stars became the new celebrities of our time. I had an upcoming trip planned. I had a work conference in Washington, D.C. And I had traveled, you know, before, but I had never spent any time on the East Coast. And I decided if I was going to be there for work, For a week, I might as well add New York to the list. Why not spend a few days in New York City, checking out all of the sites? But the number one thing that was on my list is I wanted to meet a celebrity. And when I say celebrity, I mean a reality star. (laughs) So the trip was planned, the tickets were purchased. Of course, I was going to go see the Lincoln Memorial, Lincoln Memorial, Lincoln Monument. Big priority. I was certainly going to see the things that my mom told me I needed to see. Purchase the tickets, but of course I also wanted to see a reality star. So like many of my trips, one of my weekly phone calls was to my wonderful grandfather, Papa. Papa was 77 years old, we were 50 years and four days apart. He lived in Sacramento, California. He loved hearing about my adventures. So I gave him a call, let him know what my plans were. I'm going to go to Washington, D.C. I'm going to jump on the Greyhound bus. I'm going to spend three days in New York. And this was my plan. Okay, great. Super supportive. Great. I felt very confident traveling on my own. A couple days after I got off the phone with Papa, Papa gave me a call and said, I just want to let you know that I spoke with Ruth. 
Ruth was his wife of six years, not my grandmother. They were having some marital problems. And he said, I just wanted to let you know that I told Ruth about your trip, and I let her know that your travel companion canceled. And that you didn't feel comfortable traveling alone. And that I'm going to fly to New York to be with you. And again, he lives in Sacramento, California, and I live in Missoula, Montana. And I said, okay, well, you're more than welcome, Papa, but you do know that I never had a travel companion. I have, feel completely comfortable, confident, traveling on my own. And he said, Rachel, I need a break. <laughs> okay, I will meet you in New York City. So the trip is becoming very different. So first of all, I definitely checked some things off the bucket list. Spent the week in Washington, D.C., learned a lot, did the work conferences, did the sightseeing, did all of the things my mom told me I should do. Then I went to Art and Soul, which is Art Smith, Oprah's personal chef. I went to his new restaurant. I saw Spike from season one, or his restaurant, Top Chef, his burger joint. But I still had not seen a celebrity. So this is very much on my mind. And of course, I knew I was going to New York, but a very different trip than I had planned as a 27-year-old solo traveler. Now my elderly grandfather is coming with me. <laughs> I get on the Greyhound bus on Friday afternoon from Washington, D.C. to New York. Of course, I had that trip planned as well. That's who I am. I was going to be staying, or we were going to be staying at my cousin's apartment in Harlem that my mom arranged. I've never met him. And he wasn't going to be staying there. So I had the whole trip planned, very excited. So I get to New York City. My grandfather has been traveling all day. Of course, I've been in a conference all day, and now I'm on the bus. And I arrived to see my 77-year-old grandfather who loved every shade of green, and he wore them all at once. He was never too full for ice cream, and he had beautiful salt and pepper hair. We arrived and were exhausted. So we immediately went to the apartment in Harlem, which was great, it's vibrant, we're excited, we're these country bumpkins, he's from the suburbs, I'm in quiet, sleepy Missoula, I'm in the big city, and I'm gonna see a celebrity. I'm used to the magazines, you know, photographers are getting people walking out of restaurants with their dogs or, you know, something. I'm, gonna, I'm definitely gonna see somebody. That was my focus. Of course, I'm enjoying my time seeing the sights, but that was my focus. Spent the night in Harlem, wake up the next morning. How did you sleep, Papa? Terrible. We both slept horrible. It was loud, we weren't used to it. It was great, it was vibrant, it was the city, but we were tired. Well, we had to push through, we only had three days. So, of course, we had everything, or I had everything planned, and uh, we went on a boat tour, exhausted, pushed through. We said, we have got to go see a show. We're in New York City, it's sweltering, it's 95 degrees, it would be really nice to go see a show and just sit, into the, sit in the air conditioning for a few hours. So he said, let's see Phantom of the Opera. Okay, so we walk in, air conditioning. We sit down and we woke up three hours later. <laughs> we slept through the entire thing. And I don't mean that peaceful, you know, with our head down on each other's shoulders. I mean, you know, waking up, snorting, you know, did anybody hear me? Did anybody see, you know, head nodding, uncontrollably embarrassed. And I'm still like, okay, we slept through it, it's fine. We laughed about it for years. It was the best nap we've ever had. It was, it was the most expensive nap we've ever had. <laughs> and I was like, okay, maybe this is the time. I'm gonna see someone, I'm gonna see a celebrity. Someone's gonna come to a matinee in the summer, right? No, nothing, okay, fine. Continue on with the trip. We are walking Central Park. Not that big, by the way, if you haven't been there. Thought it was huge, it's not. Times Square, not that big, super shocked. Um, but it was great. We had a wonderful, wonderful time. Still looking for that reality star. So through our marital conversations and Papa's venting and me trying to give advice to my 77-year-old grandfather about marriage when I'm not married, 
We decide on our last day, we're gonna go on one of those touristy bus tours where you drive by all of the sites. We drive by Serendipity with the hot chocolate. We go by where the Macy's Parade is, Rockefeller Center, all these great things. So first of all, we get onto the bus. Again, air conditioning was our best friend at this point. It was so hot. And he's 77, he needs a break. He needs to sit down. We enter the bus, the air conditioning just blows on us. I sit on the window and he sits to the right of me with an aisle. The bus was fairly empty, which was kind of nice. I could comment on the, oh my gosh, serendipity, we should go there for hot chocolate. You know, all of the things without worrying about other people judging or listening to our stories. So as we're going along, we're enjoying our time pointing to different things, and the bus is moving, and then I see him. Walking the opposite direction of the bus, I see this platinum blonde hair. I knew immediately who it was. Okay, so pause. So it's season one of Top Chef, okay? And there's this feisty platinum blonde chef named Dave. And he is cooking with this fiery ginger redhead named Tiffany. And she is assertive, not bossy, I don't like that word, because I relate to it very much. She is fierce and she is assertive and he doesn't like it, okay? And he says something to her. Mind you, this is racing through my brain as I see the platinum blonde. This is like two seconds of my life, okay? I don't really remember his name, don't really remember how I know him, but I remembered what he said to her. <sighs> Without a beat, I'm on the bus and I start panicking. Oh my God, oh my God, I'm not your bitch, bitch! I'm, uh, I'm not your bitch, bitch! <laughs> I'm screaming this on the bus with my 77-year-old grandfather next to me, okay? Why I didn't yell Dave, don't know. Why I didn't yell Top Chef, don't know, big fan, I have no idea. I just start screaming. Luckily, the window was up, and I looked to my right to explain why I have this outburst, and my grandfather is asleep. I had my grandfather for 13 more years. We shared many trips together, road trips, many memories, and I lost him in 2020. And that is the trip I'll never forget. That was the time that I screamed at a reality star on a bus and my grandfather slept through the whole thing. <laughs> Thanks, Rachel. Rachel Bemis marks her 20th year in Montana. She is a fourth grade teacher in the Bitterroot Valley where one third of her students tower over her. She shares her home with her best friend of 21 years and five-year-old St. Bernard Lorali. She spends her free time binging Gilmore Girls, The Great British Baking Show, 90 Day Fiance, or any trashy reality show that she can stomach. You can find her walking with friends, at the library, or at her favorite consignment shop. She loves discussing any book except science fiction with her monthly book club. Our next storyteller is Darius Janczewski. Darius reflects on defecting from Poland in the 1980s and realizes that most things we remember are about departures. Darius calls his story, Departures. Thanks for listening. Since we were kids, children, we were always told to finish what we started. But I'm here to tell you something else. <laughs> Don't worry about finishing what you started. Start something. It's about starting. I love movies, and you might be surprised to tell, to tell you I have many favorite movies, but I often don't finish watching them. <laughs> Not because they are bad movies, but uh, and sometimes they have terrible endings, you know. But they just 
enjoy the departure, the beginning of the movies. That's what I watch. One of my favorites recently is Shackleton with Kenneth Branagh, a BBC production. You might be familiar with the endurance story, but if you're not, I will just summarize it quickly that it's about British explorer Ernest Shackleton, who is attempting to cross Antarctic on foot, just with dogs. They're supposed to get to Antarctic, cross, uh, get to the South Pole, and then continue to the end other side of the continent, and then be picked up by another ship. And some of you might know that it never happens. He is stranded near the Antarctic. After a few months of drifting, his ship is crushed by the ice and sinks. His crew survives. They take three boats, safety boats, and then get to safety. It's one of the best survival stories ever. And some of you might know that they just found the ship recently after 106 years of searching for it. Um, how many of you are runners? Yeah. I can't see you anyway. <laughs> I used to be a very, very, very good runner. I used to run sub four minute mile and I represented my country. Uh, thank you. <laughs> um, but what I remember from my best races is the beginning, the start. Not the finish or the medals, ceremonies and stuff. I remember starting. I remember the first starter gun, taking off, seeing the muscular bodies of my friends in front of me. I was not that good, you know. <laughs> Sweaty backs, their hair running, they were arms working. That's what I remember most from my best races, not the finish. Uh, yeah. Because it's all about departures, not about destinations. So one of my best stories about departures is my defection. Uh, I was a deserter. The difference between desertion and defection is slight. The, different, the deserter, if he comes back or she comes back, he's gonna go to long-time jail or even under the wall and be executed, and that's the difference. And defectors usually leave because of politics or religion or, or hardship. So when I defected in 1984 in Italy, I don't remember worrying about consequences of my, uh, of my um, defection or desertion. I don't, worry about, I don't remember worrying about my family or my friends or seeing my country. I don't remember saying goodbye to my mother, but she didn't know I was leaving anyway for good. She knew I was just leaving to another competition. But what I remember the most from my defection is in Italy, when I was in Italy, I remember leaving. I remember taking my bag, my shoes, four o'clock in the morning, making sure everybody is asleep, coaches and my teammates, and tiptoeing from the room, <laughs> down the hallway, and leaving the hotel. And, and I, remember, I scouted where the train station was the day before, so I knew where it was. I had my pocket money, enough to get, get the tickets to that city that I heard refugee camp was in, and, and so I got on the train, had about 10 minutes to go, and I was thinking, hopefully nobody woke up and find out I'm not there, but no, I was fine. The train took off, I remember opening the windows, uh, seeing the countryside, Mediterranean, Italy, beautiful Italy, uh, smelling the, the sea, the Italians laughing um, very friendly. Long story short, I got to the refugee camp and then I forgot to tell you one important reason why I defected. <laughs> I defected because I fell in love in somebody, with somebody who left for America and I decided to follow her. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> It's not the end of the story, but so 
Long story short, I went to refugee camp, then I came to America, and I found out that the love was not there anymore. There was no love anymore. And so, you know, it's all about departures. Well, let's get back to the current issues. Um, <laughs> I'm thinking about Ukraine, of course, and, and the soldiers who are sitting around the campfire having a very small meal and thinking and hearing the explosions. And, and I'm thinking the war will be over one day. I'm sure they will be over one day. All the wars end one day. And I'm wondering, what will the soldiers remember from this war? Will they remember the explosions, the killing, the violence? Um, no, I don't think so. I think they will remember saying goodbye, the departure. And I also think this, uh, their families will remember it too. Uh, anyway, I'm, uh, I'm going to quit it here and say, please remember, it's about departures, okay? <laughs> Not about destinations. Thank you. Thanks, Darius. Darius Janczewski is an author, graphic designer, runner, and a refugee who arrived in the United States in 1984 and in Missoula in 1999. Darius deserted from the Polish Communist Army in 1984 when he represented his country as a runner in Italy. He was preparing for the 1984 Los Angeles Olympics when he decided to defect, not knowing that the Olympiad would be boycotted by most of the communist countries, including Poland. Darius is a published author and is currently working on his collection of short stories titled Minotaur or the Art of Running. Learn more about Darius and see examples of his work at DariusJanczewski.com. That's D-A-R-I-U-S-Z-J-A-N-C-Z-E-W-S-K-I.com. In our next story, Katrina Farnham runs out of gas in front of Costco on a busy Missoula street and is helped by strangers. She pays it forward when she sees a fellow human in need. Katrina calls her story when push comes to shove. Thanks for listening. There are two kinds of people when it comes to roadkill. There are definitely two kinds of people when it comes to filling up your car with gasoline. There are some of us that, or you, that let it get halfway down and you pull into the gas station and you fill your car back up. And there are other of us that let it run all the way out. Thank you, glad we have a group. And then we fill it back up. So yes, this is a story of me running out of gas in my car. And I am gonna just avoid telling you how many times in my life that I have run out of gas in my car. And there are probably some psychologists in the room that are evaluating me right now. And you probably have good reason because I've actually never run out of gas in winter, not one time. And Mr. Nichols, if you are by chance in the audience tonight, this is not the time that I ran out of gas on Brook Street, but I did make it to the title company in time to sign papers. Thank you very much for that. You give me a ride. No, this is the time that I ran out of gas on Reserve Street, the other awesome street in Missoula to run out of gas on. And I was southbound, heading down Reserve Street, so Costco is approaching on my left, and I don't know, sorry for not giving you the shout out, whatever the box store is on the other side. Like, to be fair here, the car that I was driving at the time had a faulty tire, like gauge, gauge sensor for the air thingy, whatever the, you go ahead, mechanics in the room. And it would do this like, bing, 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 and like any good parent, you just learn how to block out certain sounds, <laughs> which I did. 
And it's the same sound for the gas. So I'm driving, it binging, I'm not listening, I'm like busy, right? I got stuff to do, I got places to be. And all of a sudden, like, that's it. There's no more fuel, and I'm coming to a stop, like, at the worst spot. And if I had just been, like, 15 or 20 feet further, I could have just scooted into the turn lane, and I would have been far enough back in it that people could have still gotten around me, and I would have been out of the way of traffic. But that's not happening. And it was a shoulder season like it is right now. So you've got like chunks of snow and it's gritty and it's starting to melt and kind of run down in these little puddles. And I just spring too. I'm like, holy shit, I need to get a gas can like right now. And as I'm getting out of the car to do this, there are literally people who are basically doing the like, get a room, but whatever the equivalent of car running out of gas that you say to people. <laughs> and so I like run into Costco because it's the closest place. And I like do this thing and I run to the service counter. I'm like, hey, do you guys sell gas cans here? And she's like, no, we do not sell gas cans here. And then I'm like, okay. And so I run across the street, right, in Lowe's. And I, I get into Lowe's and of all the dumb luck, I know they sell gas cans there, but not this day. They're out of gas cans. I'm like, oh my God, how long is my car sitting in traffic? And I like run, I'm thinking like Costco has a service center, right? They have to have a gas can in there. And I run as fast as I can and I, I bust through the door of the service center. And there's a couple guys working, there's a guy at the little kiosk -y, whatever. And, and I say, okay, so my car is really like right out there. It's not very far and stranded. I really need a gas can. And it, whatever you guys have, you have an empty one. I can just fill it up. And you know, have you ever had that thing happen when you are in a hurry or a really big hurry and then the person or the people you're dealing with are definitely not in a hurry? <laughs> and so the guy like takes a sip of his coffee and he like thinks about it and he sets it down and I could like feel myself coming out of my skin like a little bit. <laughs> And he like saunters over to this cabinet and it's big and it's kind of rusty and he like opens the drawers and inside is this weird smattering of gas cans and like whatever else is in there. And he might be saying something, but it's like the adrenaline maybe has tuned him out and it's become this like the Charlie Brown teacher. And so he's like, wah, 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 wah. and I'm like, gas cans, yes, we're talking a language. I don't know what you're saying, but I, they're, give me a gas can. And the guy's reluctant, and he, and he pulls out one that's kind of old, the good style, right, the kind we like, and he kind of shakes it, and it's like half full of fuel, and he, he's like, well, yeah, all right, I think it's probably good fuel, and he hands it to me, and I'll run back to my car as fast as I can. Now, normally when you run out of gas, you would hopefully be on the shoulder, but I'm not. So I'm in traffic, right? My body, I'm like trying to suck it up against my car as much as I can. And I realize that the spout for this old gas can is really short. So it doesn't quite get far enough down there that it's pushing the little tab aside and there's like fuel gooding kind of in but mostly out and it's running down the car and splashing on my feet and it is mixing with the gross stuff on the road and I'm feeling like just happy if I get enough in there and then I had like a little hoodie on it and in my pocket I had this little leather pouch that was my wallet and it's got all the cards and it drops out of my pocket and it lands in the puddle with the gasoline and all the awesome. So I huck it inside my car and I'm, I'm, I'm like, all right, I think there's enough fuel in here. So I just jump in my car, throw the gas can in there and I try to start it. And I try to start it and the definitely bad fuel. So I'm like, all right, uh, what am I gonna do? And I, and I go to get out of my car, I'm gonna bring the gas can back and figure out, I could probably dump it out or whatnot. And this guy pulls up, he had like parked his truck off the way and he said, how can I help you? And I'm like, well, yeah, let's push it. We'll just, and my thought is, we're just gonna push it far enough into that turn lane where I'd wanted to be in the first place, where people can still get around me so they can turn. And as we're going, I can see we have two different ideas. And we're pushing, and it's a little bit of a hill, so we're picking up speed, and we're approaching the intersection. And the guy yells at me, go, go, go! And I look, and I mean, there's four lanes of traffic, and coming at us is a semi-truck. And, you know, I'm not a professional gap reader, but I have done a lot of mountain biking and boating and snowmobiling and snowboarding that I think I have a decent perception when it comes to, like, speed. 
and timing and distance. And I know we are not making that gap. And I yell back to him, no, no, no. And I jump inside the car and I have to jack my foot on the brake and we are in the dead middle of the intersection. Now, there is definitely not any part of me that is having that because I've already just been over there behind this space that was inconvenient. This one is way less convenient. And I can see like this moment happening where I can see, okay, semi's gonna pass, there are three cars, there's a gap, it's not huge, we can make it. I don't know this guy, but we're about to build a trusting relationship together. <laughs> and I say to him, okay, bud, are you ready? We're gonna push and go. And we're pushing, 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 and we get through this intersection. And you don't actually know if a road has any sort of incline at all until you're pushing a dead car. And then like an inch is more, it's like measured in feet. So there, you don't know if you've ever turned, you're gonna check next time. But when you go into Costco, like there's a slight incline right there. And so we just came to a peaceful stop. And the guy's like, what else can I do? And I'm like, nothing dude, thank you so much. This is great, you've been huge help. And I like grab the yucky gas can, I'll run it back over to Costco. I'm like saying like, I'm like, do you have any, can I just dump the fuel out of this can somewhere? And I got this big talking to about the EPA and you can't just dump gas out. And I'm like, you definitely did not just see what happened on the side of the road. <laughs> but I, okay, so here's your can back. I shouldn't have asked. And the guy working there says, hey, I drove my daughter's car to work today and in the back seat, she has a gas can. So he walks me out across the parking lot, probably again slower than I would have normally walked by myself. And we get the gas can and, he, and I'm like, thanks. And it's like empty, but I unscrew it and I look inside the gas can and there's like just this little teeny eensy bit of fuel in there, but like lots of dead flies. And I cannot confirm nor deny what happened to said fuel or flies, but it was empty when I got to the pumps. So I, I, I walk up there and I realize like my yucky wallet I had thrown in the back seat is still in the back seat. And, I, and I'm standing at the gas pump and this guy is just finishing fuel and he's like, hey, put your gas can over here and I'll just, I'll fill it up for you. He doesn't know I don't even have a wallet. He's just being a nice guy. And so he fills it up and I go over and I put gas in my car. I'm feeling pretty good because now I'm in home stretch. But you know I had to deal with that shitty new gas can, which even though it's long enough to reach it, a little push tab and so half the time you're fighting with that thing, but it works out. And I pull in and I fill my car up with gas and I'm like at that moment where I'm like, all right, I have no idea what I was probably doing something important before this huge saga. And right as I'm like done, you know, I'm wrapping up, I'm ready to leave, and I see the guys who had pulled in behind me, and he's at the pumps, and he's doing the pat down, and then he gets inside of his rig, and his little legs are kind of out while he's reaching across the seat, and he gets back out, and I see the pat down, and I'm like, oh, you don't have a wallet, and it's rare that you get to pay it forward so quickly, like a lot of times you do a good deed, or someone does a good deed, and it just, you know, it's like into the ether for a while. And I just said, hey man, pull your car up here and I'm gonna throw fuel in it for you. And he's missed like the whole awesome thing that just happened. He just thinks I'm being nice. For all I know, the guy who did that for me with the gas can just went through what I did. So <laughs> there I am, I'm able to fill him up and, and I'm off. Thanks, Katrina. Katrina Farnham is a local dirt-loving herbalist, mother, and educator. She is the developer and owner of Garden Mother, a holistic herb shop and dispensary with locations in Missoula and Kalispell. Katrina is passionate about healthy food, community, and continual self-improvement. She spends much of her time creating and engineering things to help others live better lives. Her spirit animal is the Incredible Hulk, and her alter ego is a mixture of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Butch Cassidy, played by Paul Newman. Katrina leads the team of herbalists and educators with an emphasis on nutrition over at Garden Mother Herbs. Learn more about her work at GardenMotherHerbs.com. Bringing us home in this episode of the Tell Us Something podcast, Jeff Ducklow finds himself with a dying cell phone, no water, and only a thin poncho. He is charged by a wild boar and more before his dramatic rescue. Jeff calls his story Lost in Kauai. Thanks for listening. Even though I believe that the only thing worse than public humiliation is voluntarily doing it to yourself, I feel compelled to tell you my story. For years, I thought my inner compass was damaged until I finally realized I didn't have one. 
what possessed me to become an adventure guide is still confusing. <laughs> it's sort of like a teacher of a second language teaching without actually knowing a second language. <laughs> I've been lost in the Andes. I have been lost in the Sierra Nevadas. I have been lost in the Alaskan wilderness. I've been displaced in the Bitterroots. <laughs> and I've been completely lost in many a mall's parking lot. <laughs> so I don't know why I thought a jungle on an island in the middle of the Pacific would be any different. It was supposed to be a simple journey from point A to point B. But I got deep into the alphabet this day, my friends. <laughs> so a few years back, I went to the beautiful Hawaiian island of Kauai with my then girlfriend, who incidentally I lost. <laughs> I mean, she, she knows where she is. Uh, we had, uh, we'd gone to a wedding of one of her friends. Wedding was over, and she went back home. She had to work. I was in between seasons and stayed a few extra days. And so I did the, the typical touristy things. I laid on the beach, played in the surf, had a few mojitos. And then I decided I need to kick the adventure level up a few notches. So I, I, I found a Hawaiian guy on the beach, and I said, hey, if you only had three days left on this beautiful island, what would you do? And without hesitation, he said, Lost Trail, man. <laughs> Lost Trail, that, that sounds really hard to find. <laughs> he said, no problem, I'm going to draw you a map. And he, he sketched out a little map of dirt roads with no names and said, you'll see a small break in the jungle. And if, if you walk down the trail and you find a little footbridge, that's not it. <laughs> Go back and find another break in the jungle. And that's exactly what happened. So uh, I got going the next day in the morning. Actually, it was the afternoon, about 3 o'clock. <laughs> and I got in my rental car and started going down the roads. And it was about an hour and a half drive down these unnamed roads. And sure enough, I... I found a small break in the jungle. And I thought, this has to be it because I don't see anything else. So I got out, sun's getting a little lower, and I packed a few essentials in my backpack and I took off. And it's supposed to be a loop, this, uh, this little journey. <laughs> a couple miles in, I got to an amazing place along Waimea Canyon, which is spectacular. It's 10 miles long, 3,000 feet deep, Waterfalls everywhere. The lava has turned red over time. Spectacular. I walked out on this little strip of land that went out into the canyon, sheer drops on each side. Spectacular, amazing. I took some pictures, and that should have been enough. <laughs> but I wanted more. With the sun hang, hanging even lower, I took off down the trail. And it was maybe a mile, and I thought, I, I can do this. And then I came to a, a branch in the trail, and I took out my map, and I'm looking at it. There's no branch, and I start rotating it. And you know when you start doing that with a map, you should go back. <laughs> but I stood, and I looked down one path and then another, and I thought of Robert Frost, <laughs> who once stood in the yellow wood and could not travel both. And he took to one last traveled by, and that made all the difference. I'm here to tell you, it really does make a big difference. <laughs> so I, I choose a path that looks actually a little more traveled, and it quickly becomes the trail that has probably never been taken. <laughs> and I end up on a, a rock chute, probably 1,500 feet down really loose boulders, and I, I know it's a bad idea, but I, I see that the trail looks like it continues over there. So I really carefully get to the, start going across, and I get to the middle, and I think, this is stupid. <laughs> that doesn't always stop me, but I had the thought, I should go back. And then I looked at what I had just traversed, and said, no way, I am not doing that again. 
and I'm not going that way either. So I decided to go up, <laughs> clinging to the mountain like Velcro hands. And I got to the top, and then I see the jungle again, and there's little yellow ribbon hanging from some trees, and I thought, Eureka, trail markers. So I entered the jungle, which is quite a bit darker, and I'm looking around, and I, I see these little yellow markers are everywhere. I don't know what the hell's going on. And I see maybe a thousand feet away what could be a trail, but it's super steep embankment, and I start going down, and it's ridiculously steep, and I said, no way. And so the, by the time I got to the top, it was dark. I was screwed. <laughs> I was spending the night in the jungle. So I took a quick inventory of what I had. I reached into the backpack, and I had an empty Nalgene bottle, which I quickly began to fill with my urine. I had read this somewhere. You can, you can recycle and reuse. So I did what I could with the bottle. And then I also saw I had a, nine, or a 2012 flip phone who had a notoriously short battery life. So in the dark, I started crawling around because, of course, there's cell coverage in the jungle. There didn't seem to be any. But miraculously, I found a one-inch by one-inch parcel that had one bar. So, of course, I called my girlfriend and not 911. And I said, I, I got on this trail called Lost Trail. I'm not sure how to tell you how I got there. I'm not sure how to get back. I believe I'm spending the night in the jungle. And then she said, if you're happy with this message, please press 1. <laughs> so I hung up the phone, braced myself for a rough night. The thing is, I'd heard plenty of stories of the Hawaiian jungle, that it ran feral with wild boar. That's what was on my mind. They had tusks so sharp, they could tear a man to two in seconds. So I sat there on the ground, pretty concerned. And I don't know how long it was, maybe two hours. I, I, I heard branches starting to snap from the hill above me. And it was getting closer and louder. And I sprung up with a burst of adrenaline. And by the beard of Zeus, I got about 10 feet up into the tree for about 10 seconds until the, the branch broke. I ended up on the canopy floor again, and now with only half as much adrenaline, I got about four feet off the ground. <laughs> and I sat on this branch for hours, not want wanting any boar contact. But my ass got so sore, I didn't care about getting bored. <laughs> I got back down on the ground. Fearing also what I were told were centipedes as long as a man's boot shoelaces. So I was sitting there thinking, this is pretty bad, but then it got worse. A cold, cold fog started creeping up the hill I was on, the mountain. And I also remember this is actually the wettest place on earth, Waimea Canyon. So it could be worse. But a cold, cold fog. And then I remembered I had the, the emergency poncho. I took that out. Its thickness could be measured in terms of atoms. <laughs> it was actually in my wallet, filed with the credit cards. <laughs> and I put it on, and I, I sheltered in the cold, I, and I started shivering, and I realized it's not wild boar that's going to get me, it's hypothermia. And <clears throat> somehow, I made it through the night alive. And the sunset, it was the most beautiful sunset I'd ever seen. Just gorgeous. And so this time, a little wiser, I called 911. They picked up, but then I got put on hold. And I see my battery icon flashing. And a couple minutes later, it was the fire captain. He said, where are you? And I was thinking, if I knew that, I probably would not be calling you. I said, lost trail. And he said, I've never heard of that. I said, well, it's in the canyon somewhere. He goes, OK, we're going to get a GPS signal on you. He goes, and I told him, you know, the phone's dying. He said, we'll, we'll turn it off. We're going to GPS signal. It doesn't matter if your phone's on or off. So he's doing that. And I'm thinking, oh, no, this is going to be really expensive. Someone told me once to be rescued cost $10,000. And that had been about a decade earlier. So <laughs> adjusting for inflation, that could be a, around 13 grand. And you have to know something. I grew up with a mother who equated personal injury with the cost of medical care. 
if your injury was going to be really, really expensive, then you weren't really hurt. <laughs> I remember coming in once after a bad bicycle accident. I was bleeding. I said, Mom, look. And in compassion, she said, oh, shit. She always added an extra valve so it wasn't swearing. And then she asked, I'm not sure if this is a rhetorical question, do you know how much that's going to cost? I don't know, Mom. I'm eight years old. I'm, I'm bleeding profusely. I don't know if I can make that calculation right now. All right. Get me my sewing kit. Please, Ma, no. I can see my femur. All right, get in the car. But there goes your allowance. So this is on my mind. So I get back on the phone with the, with the police or the, the fire captain. He says, we're going to send you a helicopter. I said, oh, oh no, that, that's okay. That's okay. Do you have mules or something like that? I said, I, I think I can walk out. There's plenty of light I have all day. He went, no, 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 no. Stay where you are, the jungle. It all looks the same. You'll get turned around. We're coming for you. So I said, okay. Um, so I turned the phone off again, and I'm waiting, and about a half hour later, I hear, I hear the chopper, and it's coming up the canyon, but it's on the wrong side. So I get back on the phone, I said, I hear you, but it's the wrong side. He said, okay, we're coming over. And then he, he asked, is there a break in the canopy? And I said, no, it's just like a roof up there. I can't see the sky. He said, okay, just don't go anywhere. Helicopter came over. The phone dies. It's over. And then the helicopter leaves, just, just goes away. I was in shock. I remember saying, ah, oh, shit. <laughs> and I sat there. I didn't know what to do, but I, I did stay put. And then, sure enough, the chopper comes back. And this time, it's right over the canopy. And, and I remember the old, now tattered, yellow poncho. And I took it out and just started swinging it around. And the next thing I know, there's a paratrooper breaking through the canopy. It's, it's incredible sound. It's like, chuk, 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 chuk. there's centipedes and scorpions and wild boar flying all, all over the place. <laughs> this guy comes down. He hooks me into a harness. Our faces are like this. Had it been COVID time, this wouldn't have been good. <laughs> and I got hooked in, he put a helmet on me, and we went breaking through the canopy, breaking branches. And then we were suspended by the, from the helicopter, and I thought, we're, we're going to be retracted inside. But we just dangle there. <laughs> and then we start going. And I'm looking at the cable thinking, is this half inch, five eighths? Is, uh, is this galvanized? It's pretty humid here. And then I look down, and it is spectacular. The, the canyons, it's an incredible view. And I'm thinking, if this is $10,000 or 13, it's worth every penny. <laughs> so I get the ride of my life. Until we get to a clearing where the, the other rescue workers, there's a fire truck. And then came the descent of shame. From the heavens, I was lowered. <laughs> and when I landed, there wasn't a lot said. I, I apologized. We got in the truck and started down the dirt road. And they said, they're going to take me to my car. And I thought, thank God, because I have no idea what that thing is. <laughs> and then what I feared, the question I feared, it came. It came from the captain himself who was driving. He looked over his shoulder, I was in the back, and he said, by the way, what do you do for a living? <sighs> there was a long pause, just like this one. And I knew there were two answers. I could, I could tell him I'm a massage therapist, which is true, but the other half of the year, I'm an adventure guide. And I thought, they've done so much for me. I owe them something. So I said, I'm, uh, <clears throat> I'm an adventure guide. He said, what? <clears throat> the whole crew started laughing. He goes, you're kidding me, right? 
I, I said, I wish I was. <laughs> then he got on the radio. <laughs> he, he said, get this, guys. The guy, the guy we rescued, he's an adventure guide. <laughs> and so I was. Thank you. Thanks, Jeff. Jeff Ducklow is no stranger to adventure. With Portuguese blood coursing through his veins, he inherited all of the wanderlust of his Mediterranean forebearers. However, unfortunately, without the accompanying and essential navigational acumen. Simply put, Jeff was born without a sense of direction, so naturally he chose to become a professional adventure guide, guiding men, women, and children oblivious to his affliction on hikes over mountain passes, rafting down raging rivers, and leading sea kayaking adventures in Alaska in whale-infested waters, at times in heavy fog. He is often quoted as saying, Is it really an adventure if getting back is a certainty? Having almost died unnecessarily on numerous occasions, Jeff is now a full-time massage therapist in Missoula who rides his unicycle to work in order to keep an element of danger in his day. He still loves the outdoors and enjoys recounting his exploits to anyone willing to listen. I'm so glad to be back in person sharing stories with you all. I'll bet you have a story to share, right? I'll bet you do. We've all got a didn't see that coming story, right? The next Tell Us Something Live event is scheduled for June 27th. It is an outdoor show and is guaranteed to be a lot of fun. You know what would make it really fun? Your participation. Pitch your story on the theme, Didn't See That Coming, by calling 406-203-4683. The pitch deadline is May 27th. I look forward to hearing from you soon. I'll call you as soon as I get your pitch. Please remember to save the date for Missoula Gives, May 5th through the 6th. Missoula Gives is a 24-hour online giving event. Remember to support Tell Us Something during Missoula Gives, May 5th through the 6th. Learn more at missoulagives.org. Thanks again to our title sponsor, Blackfoot Communications. Learn more about Blackfoot Communications over at blackfoot.com. Thanks to our in-kind sponsors. Hi, it's Joyce from Joyce of Tile. If you need tile work done, give me a shout. I specialize in custom tile installations. Learn more and see some examples of my work at JoyceOfTile.com. Missoula Broadcasting Company, including the family at ESPN Radio, The Trail 103.3, Jack FM, and Missoula's source for modern hits, U104.5. Hey, this is Gabe from Gecko Designs. We're proud to sponsor Tell Us Something. Learn more at geckodesigns.com. True Food Missoula, farm to table food delivery. Check them out at truefoodcsa.com. Rock and Rudy's, the go to place for everything you never knew you needed. Visit them online at rockandrudy's.com. Float Missoula, learn more at floatmsla.com and missoulaevents.net. Next week, I catch up with Neil McMahon. Go into some kind of line of work that would give you much more material, you know, whether it's uh, like Michael Connolly was a journalist, obviously, physicians, lawyers, whatever. Something besides swinging a hammer. Tune in for his story in our conversation on the next Tell Us Something podcast. Thanks to Cash for Junkers, who provided the music for the podcast. If you're in Missoula, you can catch them live at the Union Club on May 14th. Find them at cashfordrunkersband.com. To learn more about Tell Us Something, please visit tellussomething.org.